Today we find our passage of scripture in the book of Acts, the 17th uh, chapter. When we were doing revitalization as a congregation, we were going through a process called revitalization about two years ago or so. And one of the things we learned then was to try and put all of our ministries, all of our committee work through a matrix uh, that had to do with evangelism, I mean outreach, evangelism, and discipleship. And that was the order, outreach, evangelism, discipleship. And so we try and continue to make sure uh, that our ministries in this church follow that matrix pattern. And uh, we learned at the time during revitalization that, you know, we Presbyterian types are pretty good at outreach and we're pretty good at discipleship, but we're not so strong, typically speaking, in evangelism. And this uh, weekend, our officers had a retreat together and our speaker uh, helped sort of remind us of that with some exercises uh, we were doing together. This passage just happened to already be, I say just happened, providentially, in, uh, in the preaching plan. And uh, Paul is giving all of us principles as to how we can share the gospel with others in this story about him being in Athens. So even though he's speaking to a large group of people, you can take these same principles and apply them if you're sharing uh, your faith with your neighbor or a member of your family or your co-worker or whomever it happens to be. So I'll read this passage for us, but I hope you'll follow along in your Bible or your bulletin insert. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
Abraham had anybody else who was saved from the cross. This is what theologians call the contextualization of the gospel. Contextualization gets a bad rap in some circles, but Paul shows us the right way to do it and the proper motivation. So in his deal to proclaim the good news of the gospel, Paul begins where the people are. I perceive that you are very religious, and notice he does it in a positive way. And this is what you and I need to do as well whenever we're trying to share our faith with someone else. We begin where they are. And he tries his best there to maintain the interest of his listeners by telling them something not only positive about their lives, but but, uh, talking about this unknown God, this culture to this unknown God. This is where he begins to move the discussion more where it needs to be. For he says to them, what you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. And he begins to give a scriptural summary of who God is. Now again, notice he doesn't quote any scripture. He's just talking about God and what we learn about God from the book of Genesis. I mean, we have all of these things there. Notice what he says about God. He's the creator of the world and has made everything in it. He makes life possible and sustains all life. This is why we have something like a sanctity of human life Sunday in the life of the church, which is today, by the way. Because God gives the gift of life. God has made us male and female in his image. He gives the gift of life. He sustains life. And therefore, he's the only one who can take life or some branch of his authority. And not only is he the giver of life, but he made from one every nation, all peoples who live on the earth, Paul tells them. And he's even determined their boundaries as people. You see, that's important to God. To all these people groups are. And that's why their ministries today many different ones who try and keep up with all of those people groups. And have they had an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel or not? One of those mission organizations is the Joshua Project. And the Joshua Project will tell you that there's between 11,500 and 13,000 ethno-linguistic people groups in the world today. And that's several He's determined their boundaries. And then Paul tells his listeners, and that's something very important, God has made all of these various nations what? You see the answer in verse 27. To seek after God. Now you see what Paul's doing here. So far he's using the natural world. That is to say the things that people can observe in God's creation all around them to try and move these people toward faith 
is this kind of natural theology, for example, in Romans 1. How can appeal to pagan people but to condemn pagan sinfulness? Well, we've got to remember who the letter of Romans was written to, to the church, the Christian people. Paul's talking to Christian people in Romans 1 here. In Athens, he's talking to pagan people, and he tries to get them to understand what they can know about God by observing the creation around And that's something you and I can do as well. You know, we have a friend or someone who says, you know, I just don't believe in any kind of God. There's not some kind of sovereign power out there. We can point them to our planetary system, for example. There's a story, and I couldn't find it, so I may be wrong, but I don't think I am, about Galileo, who had this unbelieving friend. And Galileo had made this great uh, model, a working model, of the planetary system. You know, he was one of the early ones who, who told people that the planets revolved around sun instead of the other way around. And, of course, story. He, he has this perfect working model, and so this unbelieving friend shows up at his door, and Galileo says, I want you to see this. His friend comes up there and says, marvelous. Oh, that's just marvelous. And he saw it work and everything, and he said, he said, how did you ever make it? Galileo said, oh, I didn't make it. All that stuff just kind of fell together. You know, he was trying to make the point. You know, if you don't believe in a sovereign power, that's basically what you're saying in life. But these planets that have this perfect rotational system, everything that goes on with the way we live, and the Earth rotating around, and the moon around it, and all of the planets, all of that's just by chance. If you don't believe in a sovereign power, you, you, know, you and I can use that same kind of basic argument with those who Paul knows the good news that even though God has made himself known in nature, what we call natural revelation, he's done so much more, making himself known ultimately in Jesus Christ, which is what we call special revelation. And this is where Paul continues to move along in his speech. He knows conversions won't come just through an appeal to what they can observe in the world. Special revelation takes us where simple observation cannot go. And that special revelation is what is needed. And so Paul points to Jesus and his resurrection, a fact completely contrary to the way we know that our world works. Because in our world, things die and they decay. They don't come back to a glorious life. Yet that's what happened with Jesus Christ. So Paul concludes this speech by quoting one of their own poets. We are indeed his offspring. And Paul summarizes, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he speaks today, when we 
which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying, all of this idol worship that you do is unnecessary. If this God is the holy and all-powerful Lord of creation, then the wisest thing to do is to turn to Him. And notice that this turning to God is not some sort of punishment for our lives, not just some little extra that, you know, helps us or that makes a difference in our daily living. Rather, this repentance is a command from God Himself that goes out to all people and all nations everywhere. But the wisdom of obeying such a command is easy when we realize that one day this God will be judge the whole world. I remember Paul's audience here. They would have most likely been thinking as Paul is, is talking along that if this God of yours is so powerful, and if he's made everything in the world, then why does he allow people to live in disobedience to him and his will for their lives without punishing them? And you see, Paul gives an answer to that unspoken question there at the end of our text. He informs them that God overlooked their ignorance in the past. God was building a favor for the creation of the world. But he's not any longer because he commands repentance because the judgment day is coming. In other words, Paul encourages them to make a decision. And you know, when you and I are sharing our faith with someone, we eventually might get there. We might not need to get there the very first time. But we need to have a happy, serious discussion. And sooner or later, we need to get to where we ask a decision. And notice from our text that Paul can proclaim the gospel as he does because of the assurance that he has that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Now that's something that you and I take by faith. But Paul had experienced that resurrected Christ had arrested him from the sky on the road to Damascus that day and converted him, and Paul never forgot it, and it always came back to that over and over again. This Jesus, whom you killed, he would say to the Jews, God has resurrected, God has brought back to life. And that makes all the difference. And basically, Paul is telling these pagans in Athens, you know, you can believe the words that I say because God did raise him from the dead. The resurrection is our proof, if you will. But I'm sure you noticed we don't see the name Jesus spoken in this text. Very story as Luke reports it for us, we don't see the name Jesus mentioned. And we have to remember that when we meet people where they are. If they're unbelievers, if, they, if they've never heard of God, if they've never 
these particular elements because they're not ready. As my Sunday school teacher said so eloquently a few weeks ago, you know, all people who are unbelievers are on the continuum. Think of the line. It goes just like this. And some are all the way at one end where they never heard anything. They don't know anything about God or Jesus Christ or the Scriptures or anything else. But as people plant seeds in their lives, they move along that continuum to where one day they're ready and the Holy Spirit has worked in their hearts enough to call them to himself. And Paul knew these people at the very beginning. They were nowhere close enough to hear the whole load of what he could give them as far as theology was concerned. And you and I need to remember that as well. That's why it's so important for us to uh, have relationships with these people with whom we're sharing. Most people will tell you anymore that uh, evangelism is all about relationships. And we've had people here training us as a congregation in the past who would say just that, and that's why we kind of have to have a feel for where they are along that continuum as to how we can best communicate with them. And yet, even though that's true, God still gave Paul some believers in Athens, still converted some people, even from the speech is following our text where Luke tells us some men joined him and believed among whom were Dionysius and a woman named Damaris and others with them. As Paul tells the Corinthians, it's always good for us to remember when we're talking about evangelism that as Paul told them, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's always about God. We just have to be faithful planners. We just have to be faithful waters. It's God who's going to give the growth whenever it happens. And God gave Paul some converts even with a speech like this, where no scripture is used, and not even the name of Jesus is spoken. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. And that's what you and I always need to not about us. It's not about our fears, whatever kind of fears we have. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's hearts. And he can change anybody. And that's what we always need to remember when it comes to evangelism and even moves us in the process. So, evangelism 